Monsters, monsters, big and small, they're gonna come and eat you all. Corsi, corsi, tooth and claw, shadow and bone will eat you raw. Malkai, malkai, sharp and sly, smile and bite and drink you dry. Sunai, sunai, eyes like coal, sing you a song and steal your soul. Monsters, monsters, big and small, they're gonna come and eat you all. I'm Hannah. I'm Leah. I'm Caitlin. And, and this, this is Read Me Maybe. Today we're going to be talking about This Savage Song by Victoria Schwab. From the HarperCollins website, the book description is, There's no such thing as safe in a city at war, a city overrun with monsters. In this dark urban fantasy from acclaimed author Victoria Schwab, a young woman and a young man must choose whether to become heroes or villains and friends or enemies with the future of their home at stake. Kate Harker and August Flynn are the heirs to a divided city, a city where the violence has begun to breed actual monsters. All Kate wants is to be as ruthless as her father, who lets the monsters roam free and makes the humans pay for his protection. All August wants is to be human, as good-hearted as his own father, to play a bigger role in protecting the innocent. But he's one of the monsters, one who can steal a soul with a simple strain of music. When the chance arises to keep an eye on Kate, who's just been kicked out of her sixth boarding school and returned home, August jumps at it. But Kate discovers August's secret, and after a failed assassination attempt, the pair must flee for their lives. In this savage song, Victoria Schwab creates a gritty, seething metropolis, one worthy of being compared to Gotham and to the four versions of London in her critically acclaimed fantasy for adults, A Darker Shade of Magic. Her heroes will face monsters intent on destroying them from every side, including the monsters within. So this savage song is a really fantastic, um, interesting kind of world created there. The main characters are Kate Harker and August Flynn, and they're the kind of representations of the two halves of the city of Verity. So Verity has a wall built down the center, and on the north half, there's Kate's father, Callum Harker. And on the southern half, August's father, Flynn, is in charge. So basically, August is a monster um, who doesn't really feel like a monster and isn't sure how to deal with his monstrous identity. Kate is extremely ruthless and acts out in much more monstrous ways <laughs> in an effort to impress her father, who might as well be a monster. August has two Sunai siblings, Leo and Ilsa, and they're both kind of representing different takes on how August might be able to claim his identity and move into his identity. Kate has her father Callum on the other half of the city, and she wants badly to move into her father's kind of society and reign of orbit, and he, she mm -hmm. just wants him to see her. Yeah, she really wants to impress him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the city of Verity, it's divided. There's monsters, three kinds of monsters, and they're kind of isolated once you get outside the city. Um, it's very dangerous, even more so than inside the city, really, and you have to be careful and kind of keep moving to these um, settlements throughout this dystopian world. And there's a huge division between like the city and the safer areas where there's just less violence because it's yeah. more peaceful. There's less people there. Absolutely. So there's like this huge area called the waste that you have to drive through that I kind of pictured as a desert. Mm -hmm. um, that was really fabulous. But I feel like Victoria summed up the book really, really well 
in her little description on Goodreads. She said that it was Sin City plus Romeo and Juliet minus romance plus monsters. It was like a, a little bit of romance in there though. Like yes, I don't know I that know. it was like Macanania, but it was just like I feel like it was real subtle. Like you could ship it. Or but you it could wasn't not just if like you didn't want to. Yeah. I feel like you only saw it if you were really like, you know, into that sort of thing. I saw it. No, I totally saw the romance. Like Hannah I totally ships error body. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, I do. But it was very like it was very subtle and it wasn't like yeah, they weren't like macking on each other the whole time. It was just like they're both there. They obviously have some chemistry, but it's not like Oh my god, there's so much chemistry here. Let me point out all the chemistry here. Yeah, because I think there's a a sub question here of can August feel that kind of chemistry? That's true. I really strongly wonder about that. Well, there's not a lot of maybe romance because they don't really live in a world that kind of allows for romance in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's an amazing world, though. It's it's a very violent world. Yeah, so kind of getting into some of the world building, um, it's set in this post-something world. Something big went down, and the book doesn't really go into a whole lot of, like, what that was, which was mm-hmm. both frustrating and kind of gratifying and that you had to piece it together yourself a bit throughout the book. Um, but I also felt like I just needed somebody to, like, write a Wikipedia article and let me, like, read that real quick before I finish the book. So, I, you know, if you... Anyway, world building. It was done gradually, <laughs> not all at, at the front. Um, but something that was really interesting in the world are the monsters and, like, the kind of the role that they play in the world. So Verity, which is split into North and South is ruled by two different kinds of leaders. In the north, it's ran by Kate's father, Harker, and he kind of uses intimidation and fear and violence to rule, and he offers the citizens of the north um, protection in exchange for money. Mm -hmm. So very, like, warlord, roaming the street, putting people in their place. Parker has this very, like, strict way in which he runs his city. Um, But also, like, he actually, he kind of controls the monsters in the north, Mm -hmm. and people under his protection are not supposed to be hurt by the monsters. Um, In the south, the the world is run in a much more militaristic way. There's the FTF, which is kind of the the law of the land. and things are definitely in more of in shambles in the south. In the north, you have, like, tall buildings, white mm-hmm. walls, nice subways. Um, and You've just got like, a sense of protection and safety. Yeah, it, it looks very safe. It looks very clean, very put together. The south is very much, it looks like, you know, a war-torn country. Um, and people just trying to survive in that country. Mm-hmm. But the, the world building in that was very interesting, especially in regards to the monsters. So basically the monsters are created out of violence. Like, Corsi, yeah. they, they, are raised, they are born out of violence, um, but not extreme violence. Like, so if somebody were to like, go punch you out, a mm-hmm. Corsi may be born. Is that, am I understanding that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, like, like, I think you'd have to like, Beat someone like into the hospital, yeah, okay, sort of thing, or like stab um, them or do something serious. If there's violence wherein you like almost kill somebody, like more extreme violence, the Malkai, or mm-hmm. no, I think if you if kill you somebody, kill a Malkai is born. Mm-hmm. Um, and then extreme violence, like 
the highest order of violence. Like it's kind terroristic, of terroristic, mass yeah. shooting. Um, and really, it kind of concentrated where lots of lives are taken. Mm-hmm. It seemed, go. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the Sunai are born out of, and it's I don't know. It's super interesting. Um, Hannah's gonna talk some more about that later, but the it's interesting how the monsters are created and what situations they're created in, mm-hmm. and then how they like live in the world. Well, and how it differently. Af- yeah, how it affects them because like the Corsai have to hide in the shadows, but they are created from the lowest form of violence, and then as the level of violence gets stronger, the monster becomes more able to kind of blend in with the real world, which is kind of a really scary thought because you would think that the more monstrous the act, the more monstrous the creation. Yes, which is not how it happens because the Sunai manage to kind of blend in with people around. Like, they look very human. The Malkai look kind of vampiristic, mm-hmm. and the Corsai tend to be like shadows. So... Which is kind of an interesting parallel between, like, different type crime that's created, crime that's done in our world. Um, a lot of violent crime goes punished within the legal system, mm-hmm. but, like, white-collar crime is often, you know, swept under the rug or maybe not penalized Hidden as in the hard. Shadows. And, you know, it's definitely, like, people paying to get out of, mm-hmm. I don't know, get, get out of what it is that they deserve under the law, but it's interesting how the, like, the higher versus lower level of crimes and how they play out. Yeah. Well, Schwab really seemed to have kind of a habit of showing that oftentimes violence leads to more violence, very much like that, like, you know, violent acts people get put into prison and often put to death, which we kind of justify as, well, they hurt someone, but it's still violence in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're still taking a life. Well, um, and it breaks, like, it breaks apart families, and mm-hmm. it breaks apart, like, it doesn't end, I guess, is the thing, like, the yeah. cycle does not end. Yeah. You know, and in here you have the Sunai taking souls. Yeah. You have the Malachi um, taking lives mm-hmm. through draining them dry. You've got a snake eating its tail because it just continues, and the violence just builds on itself until you yeah. get this world that's kind of out of control with these monsters. Yeah. Yeah. These monsters that are created in the world um, happen when acts of violence occur and then kind of somewhere in the after of trying to, somewhere in the after, these monsters just kind of appear. Um, so there's shadows for the Corsai, there are the kind of vampiristic Maokai, but then the Sunai just kind of appear as people um, but she never really specifically kind of pointed to how, like, you know, it's not like purple smoke comes and surrounds them. And no, they just, right? kind of they just kind of appear. Like August in the aftermath of the mm-hmm. crime that birthed him, mm-hmm. um, this whole school shooting. Yeah. He just kind of appeared as mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. like, a 12-year-old boy, just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, an emergency worker found him, and... He was just there. Assumed he was a student, but then it kind of pretty quickly it was discovered that he was not just a normal kid. I think that Victoria Schwab did some really interesting things though with how she kind of distinguishes um, what comes out of the different crimes Mm -hmm. though through the personalities. Yeah, well, you've got Leo who was created from a religious cult mass suicide 
and he has become very kind of fanatical about his beliefs um, and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got August, who was created out of a mass shooting and is very kind of on the line of innocent, but doesn't really know where he stands. He doesn't really understand whether or not he's a monster or an innocent, and he wants to be an innocent, but he sees both what Ilsa says about how they should try to be peaceful and what Leo says in that they should embrace who they are and be violent in the times when they need to be violent. Mm -hmm. And August is really torn um, between doing that. And then Um, you have Ilsa, mm -hmm. who is just completely scattered from the way that she was created, which is a little bit of a mystery in the book. Yes. Um, As you go through, August learns more and more about Mm -hmm. his siblings and about through that himself. How much I love Ilsa. Um, yeah. Ilsa was fantastic. Okay. Very much the all-knowing big sister. Yeah. Oh, I just. But she's I, fragile and vulnerable in her own right. Yeah. You just want to protect her, even though she's like a needs monster. Needs no protection. Yeah. yeah. She needs no protection, but you just kind of want to hug her and be like, "It's okay. It's all gonna be fine." Well, and it like it it's Leo said this, and it was kind of said throughout the book that Ilsa has two sides of her, and they mm-hmm. never meet each other. And I thought that was. So interesting, um, especially given the type of how she was birthed um, mm-hmm. and like what it is like before and after that kind of event and yeah. like the devastation that comes out of it, but also like what leads up to the devastation. Uh-huh. I don't, it's such a so many parallels can be drawn mm-hmm. um, between some of the things that happened in this book and some things that we see happen in in our own world. Um, you know, bombs being dropped on Hiroshima and like the the things that were born out of that mm-hmm. you know the japan still has seas where they can't sell fish they they get out of it because of the the nuclear yeah. aftermath and that's like that's crazy family definitely plays a really large role in this in this story mm-hmm. absolutely i think one of the biggest themes of this story is about familial identity where do you fit into your family do you want to take the place that has been kind of created and shaped for you? Do you resist that? You know, how do you make sense of your identity within this larger group of your family? Um, For instance, Kate, all she wants is to be recognized by her father and to be valued, you know, by her father, looked at with pride instead of as something to be hidden away. Mm -hmm. And everything she does, she's doing for that end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and her father just doesn't want to give her that recognition or kind of place. For sure. Yeah. So she wants to really prove him wrong. And then August, on the other hand, he's trying to figure out, kind of, he's been fostered in this family. The Flynns have raised him. And he has his two older siblings who are both also Sunai, but they represent kind of different paths of what a Sunai can be. He doesn't really want to accept his um, monstrous identity at all. So he's not just trying to determine how to break out of this little brother role where he's protected in the family, you know, and he's, he's trying to break out of that role and become um, a useful tool in this fight against the monsters that are terrorizing the city. But he also is trying to figure out how not to be what he is um, through this struggle and which path to really take. 
and I think that that's just such a universal theme. You know, you're raised in one family or in one situation, and then you kind of have to decide, do I want to accept this accident of chance, this mm-hmm. random happenstance situation that I was born into and raised in? Do I take what people are telling me I am? Do I change myself? How do I fit back into my family once I have changed? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really... Um, relevant theme for teenagers especially who are trying to break away from their family at the same time that they really need their family yeah i would argue that's something that you'll kind of go through i mean i'm in my mid-20s and that's something that i you know still am struggling with and yeah it's interesting how it's played out in this because like part of his identity is like i mean he is a Sunai. There's no escaping mm-hmm. the fact that he needs to feed off of souls to survive. Absolutely. And he may hate that part of himself, but he also has to accept it in a way because that's how he, that's mm-hmm. like how he survives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a yeah. bedrock fact about himself. Yeah. And by trying to deny that fact or struggle with it, he's denying himself the power of being just a fully mm-hmm. integrated person. Like, yeah. And I don't mean that in any kind of fantasy sense wherein he gains more power if he accepts blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I just mean that, like, in a basic, like, psychological sense, yes. you're more mentally healthy if you just accept things that are true. That doesn't mean that you, like, accept what fate has given you or anything like that, mm-hmm. but, like, it means that you don't try to struggle in a fruitless way. Yeah. But there's also, a lot of it is kind of reframing how you're looking at things. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely portions of a Sunai, being a Sunai, that he had to figure out for himself, uh-huh. maybe because, you know, Leo in his, in his experience and in his way of living himself as a Sunai <laughs> has kind of misinformed August mm-hmm. in a Very way. Very much so. So, yeah. like, he has this idea of, like, what it means to be a Sunai that's not necessarily true, and he yeah. kind of has to discover that for himself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and he really has to come to terms with, yeah, how being a monster can still have him... Being a monster in the sense of, like, the fact that he has to eat people's souls can still help him fit in with who he sees as his parents and who he loves dearly, who are human, and yeah. still be a part of that family. Uh-huh. And that force against mm-hmm. the larger monster population. Yeah. It's a tough Identity. situation. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. You'll struggle with, you'll, you'll struggle with it. <laughs> you'll struggle with it. But yeah, it's like, and it's, uh, it's kind of a struggle that doesn't really go away when you were talking about no. familial identity. I mean, just, like, there wouldn't be so many sitcoms about it if it weren't true. (laughs) Like, you know, your mom looks at you and, like, kind of cocks her head, like, uh, when was the last time you brushed your hair? And you're just like, (laughs) you know, I was having a pretty good day up till now. Thanks, Mom. I don't have a brush. Thank you. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, So it's just kind of, like, that kind of thing where you're constantly negotiating your place as a person within this Mm -hmm. group, you know, of these people that you call your family and some people find that it's not a situation they want to be in any longer and they end up leaving their family and kind of creating their own new family for themselves or kind of figuring it out apart from the people who raised them or birthed them or whatever and in a way that happens in this book i mean that's kind of the the flynn father henry he lost his entire family in yeah. the war, wow. and he, you know, he found somebody new, 
and uh-huh. he adopted mm-hmm. these Sunai as his children mm-hmm. and yeah. created a family for himself from like a terrible situation. Yeah, but that's also mm-hmm. uh, a situation that's facing both of our protagonists here, Kate mm-hmm. and um, August. Uh, they're part of the book deals with their decision on where, like, where do they go from here? Yeah. How do they go forward? What is their choice going to be regarding Well, because finding the other and, like, starting to form a friendship between them really challenges everything that they've believed and been taught to believe by their parents. Absolutely. And that their families have believed. I mean, it really challenges all their ideals, um, and they kind of have to grow to figure out whether they're going to turn away from what's kind of grown between them to follow what their families believe, or if they're going to kind of let go of what their families believe. That is so Romeo and Juliet. I get it now. Okay. (laughs) Ayo. Oh, boy. That's embarrassing. Have you guys seen that uh, iteration of Romeo and Juliet that's like, it's like a modernized version that's about two families who own pizza restaurants in town? Yes! Oh, my God. It has Sherry Appleby, who is fabulous. Yes. What a good film. If you haven't seen it, it's I don't know so the title, cute. but, like, go watch it. Yeah. So good. Just search Sherry Appleby and, like, search her movies, because she's in it, and it was super... I think it was, like... Pizza My Heart, or like so, somewhere in the movie oh, they say something about like yes. Pizza My Heart, and it's, it's on Netflix. Oh my god. Like, utilize your Netflix it's in the best cheap. way possible. Yes. Lord. So, music features in this book. Um, the title, This Savage Song, refers to uh, the way Sunai call the souls out of their victims. I mean, if victim is the right word. Hosts. Hosts for so, the souls. Well, kind of backing know. up from that, Sunai in Leo's eyes are kind of like the justice in this world. The vengeful, the avenging angels. The avenging yeah. angel. When somebody commits a crime, there is a punishment that needs to come from it, and the Sunai are the ones that deliver that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the um, monsters that have been created are the ones who go and punish the people who have created these monsters in the first place. Or at least this special breed of Yeah, monster. the Sunai, yeah. They're yeah. able to reason, and they have morality. Actually, in a way, all of the monsters punish the people that have created them. I mean... Because they're all killing them. Because, I mean, yeah. I mean, the Malkai and the Corsai, they're living in this world, wreaking havoc, killing people. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of that's... I would say, like, a vengeance for their their own yeah. creation. Like, mm-hmm. for them being created, like, this is the way in which they survive. Although but the Sunai are, like, the least violent way. Yeah. Because these people become entranced. With Corsai and Malkai, it's an indiscriminate type of justice where it's mm-hmm. just kind of in the nuclear bomb of hitting everybody equally. Mm-hmm. But the Sunai target the... They can only eat, because at one point... Yeah, they um, can't, they can't cat, consume souls from... Um, yeah, so if the soul does not already have the stain on it mm-hmm. of violent murder, they cannot consume the soul. Yes. So they see that stain, and the way they consume the stained soul is to call the soul out of the victim through music. Mm-hmm. So each of them have their own way of doing it. Leo has his steel guitar. And Leo can use any instrument. Leo Leo's can, very yeah. talented in the fact that he has been able to pull his song from just about any instrument 
Um, but Ilsa can only sing. That's the only yeah. way he's successful. And then August plays his violin, mm -hmm. and that's how he creates his own savage mm -hmm. song to yes. pull the victim's souls out. Yeah, but music definitely, music and just sound in general plays a really large part in this mm -hmm. book. Um, and it's kind of how August like navigates the world. Mm -hmm. He talks about sound a lot. Um, he can hear the, the gunshots <laughs> from his birthing. Yes. Um, the school shooting that he was born into. Mm -hmm. He can hear the gunshots faintly throughout the day. He can he can hear like you know, people in the same room or he kind of like navigates the world in regards in regards to what yeah. it sounds like and that definitely That's an interesting twist for certain Yeah. Yeah. Well and he and Kate had a commonality in the music because she was also obsessed with music. Whenever she would go home she would turn on her music as loud as possible just to drown everything else out. Like, she really depended on music to kind of survive the world that she was living in. Absolutely. And August did, too. He had to have music to survive, mm -hmm. to eat, which, of course, he had to do to survive. Yeah, and actually, that's one of the haunting things, I think, about his relationship to music. He could only play his songs, you know, when he had mm -hmm. that situation in front of him, and which becomes one of the conceits of how he and Kate end up meeting because in the school that he is trying to infiltrate they have soundproofed music rooms mm -hmm. and it's the first time he's ever been able to play his own song all the way through. Yes. How devastating would it be to like have something that you're super passionate about but only be able to do it in a way that you see as, as harmful? Yeah. Because I mean throughout the book August sees what he does as a Sunai like as, as harmful and disgusting and like terrifying to himself yes. and like he can't actively enjoy the same that he's super impractical mm -hmm. like, like he's super yeah. passionate about music but he can't enjoy it because yeah. it only manifests itself in a way well, that he sees as harmful absolutely he can't share it with other people either like he can't bring that passion and that beauty into the world and yeah and he can eat but he can't even like share it with himself like he yeah. can't make it all the way through a song that would ugh, it's an absolute so bedrock crack in his identity for sure yeah, yeah. so my read like for this book was Sabriel by Garth Nix it's part of a series um in the book there's this wall there's lots of walls in in books as if, like as a rule people just put up walls everywhere if they can um, emotional wall physical wall it's gonna be wall. huge yeah so in, in Sabriel, there's this wall that divides, you know, the magical side of the world and the non-magical side of the world. And on the magic side of the world, there are, what, demons? The undead. The undead. Okay, so the undead kind of roaming, doing things, being people, undead people. Um, Sabriel is a character who uses bells to control the dead and to call the dead back from... Mm -hmm life back into where they should be, the afterlife. Yeah. yeah. Um, but some things that are similar between the Savage Song and Sabriel are definitely, like, the importance of music throughout it mm -hmm. and the importance of sound. Um, there's also monsters, in a way, and mm -hmm. the undead in, in Sabriel are violent, typically. Like, there's just really bad things come out of it. Um, and her her music is a way in which she can control mm -hmm. that violence and mm -hmm. send it back to where it belongs. Um, but another really big similarity between the two books are the father-daughter relationship. Sabriel is definitely, throughout the book, trying to 
both live up to her father's legacy, but also make her father proud, find her father in the first book. Um, and just is constantly living with his, with his, you know, with yeah, the Abhorsons, which is, oh, I'm not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just pick up on a similar theme. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Father-daughter relationships are also really important in this book, and it kind of informs how the entire series takes place. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, definitely a read-alike there. Um, Hannah, what was your read-alike for this? So my read-alike is Our Endless Number of Days by Claire Fuller, which is not a young adult book. It's considered adult, but um, I felt like it had a lot of similarities with some just in feel with a lot of young adults that I've read. It's a very devastating book. Um, but it's about this girl who, I believe she's 12 at the time, but her father takes her to a cabin in the middle of the woods. He's been a survivalist for a really long time. You go to a cabin in the middle of the woods and he informs her that the world has ended in some sort of catastrophe and it's just the two of them. And so it's all about her trying to live up to him, um, and his want for her to be a survivalist too, when she's really not. And her trying to come to terms with the fact that they're alone because she wants to please her father and like make him happy but also she really kind of wants to explore the world beyond their cabin and the field around it and see what else what's left of the world she really kind of wants to spread her wings and get away um so she's very torn between that but it's very very much about that father-daughter relationship and wanting to please your parent while also not agreeing with everything they do or say. So Fire by Kristen Kaysher would be my real life for the Savage Long because Fire is a monster. She's a human monster, the last of her kind. Um, she's trying to figure out how to atone for the sins of her father um, and come to terms with the fact that she she wanted to please her father and she wanted to be loved by him and make him proud. Um, yet she had to face up to the way that he was completely destructive to everything around her. Um, so it's kind of about her breaking free from all of that and trying to figure out her place in the world as a monster that has a huge impact on ordinary humans, um, yet still trying to pursue the human things she wants for herself, including playing her violin and just having her own identity outside of being monstrous, outside of being able to entrance anyone. She wants to just live her life and figure out what that even means. And the super mega foxy hot friggin. Okay, so there's that too, yeah. But <laughs> um, basically all of Kristen Keishore's books, Forever, peace out. Uh, forever and ever, amen. True. Oh, inbox, outbox time. Leah, what have you been reading? What have I been reading? Okay. Um, I read something that was really good. Oh, oh, I read My Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, or Ooh. A Year of Yes, or Year of Yes, something the like that. The Year of Yes? Yes. 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 That yes. Shonda Rhimes book. Uh, Shonda <laughs> Rhimes, awesome. I, like, read, was gonna read it because, um, it was definitely pitched on Call Your Girlfriend, mm. and also on All the Books, two podcasts that I super love. And I was just kind of like, ah, well, you know, I'll read it. But, oh, my God, Shonda Rhimes is hilarious, you guys. Like, I would, like, I actually want to go 
watch all however many seasons of Grey's Anatomy now just because mm. she wrote it. Like, I want to read everything she's ever done because she's so funny and insightful and interesting and girl knows how to build a story. Oh my god. I don't know if those are all things I would apply to Grey's Anatomy. Um. Well, I mean, I don't know. I haven't watched it. But uh, I love this book. It's super great. Plus, it's really inspiring, you know, to make yourself answer to challenges rather than kind of just fold in on yourself mm-hmm. and let everything go. So I read that, and that was really good. I just started All the Single Ladies by Rebecca Traster because... Um, also pitched on CYG and all the books. Ugh, bless. Right. Um, let's see. I have been reading a bunch of different YA stuff. Um, I heard you read a, uh, a good comic book lately. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what Caitlin is referencing is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Volume 1. Ugh. And Ugh. yes, it is amazeballs or nuts. It's so great. <laughs> Everything is awesome about Squirrel Girl. You need to read it immediately. Ryan North rocks. All of the art is fantastic. And it's just super hilarious. Like, I love it. It's very witty and um, love the whole, like, tweet wars with Iron Man and everything. Uh, do we yeah. want to talk about some other Marvel news, though? With, a, with a certain YA author we all love, Jason um, Reynolds. Are you discussing the fact that Jason Reynolds is going to write the new Spider-Man? Uh, Miles who's, Morales? Who's freaking oh, out about this? I yes. didn't know that. I'm freaking out about this. Obviously, we all are. That's yeah. so exciting. We love Jason Reynolds. He's going to get yeah. a lot more expensive to see now, though. I know. <laughs> I know. Luckily, we got to see him early on. I like him so much. He's so great. Um, another comic book that I read was uh, Saga Volume 6, I think. So I'm still very, very high on the saga, love. Turning a corner, getting into some new story ground there. So everybody should read saga, but not like people under 18. Back away if you're, it's definitely NSFW. (laughs) But it's so cool. Like it's space opera and done in the best way. And it's like super diverse because can I just say the problem with having these fantastical worlds where everybody is freaking white and like humanoid, and you're like, no, it's in outer space. It's a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this book completely blows all of that out of the water. It looks like you would really expect an outer space world to look like. Super interesting. Love it. Very, very colorful. Um, just really beautiful, beautiful art. Fiona Staples is a goddamn genius, <laughs> basically. And Brian K. Vaughn is an amazing writer. Um, Runaways, um, Why the Last Man, like a bunch of different stuff. Super awesome. I finished Six of Crows and it was so good. Um, I am in love with Kaz Brecker. Just like at first I was kind of like, isn't. yeah, at first I was like, mm, it's a rumor no. And then I was like, oh dude, you're like super awesome. And Nina was amazing. And Annette, amazing. just like everyone, everyone in that book is so fantastic. So super love that book. I am excited to read number two in that series. Um, which will, you know, come up eventually in my reading list. Um, I also finally finished Never Never, which I started way back in, like, January or February and kept having to put down to read other things, and I was finally like, nope, gonna finish it, gonna get through it, and it was really great. So that one is 
like an alternate twist on Peter Pan, which someone was recently telling me, was it you who was telling me about like the alternate theory about who Peter Pan was? That was definitely not Okay, me. but I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, man. That sounds like a Melissa thing. I don't know who I was talking to. Someone was telling me this um, alternate theory about how Peter Pan is actually evil, and it really reminded me of this book, because in this book, Hook is the protagonist, and Peter Pan is the antagonist, um, and Peter's just kind of this little evil child who you know, kills the pirates without a thought and just likes killing people, likes making people miserable, only cares about himself, is very self-centered. Um, and so just a really interesting look at a story that we all are kind of at least somewhat familiar with, if not very familiar with the Disney version of it. Um, so that was an excellent book. I also read a graphic novel called Gotham Academy, Volume 1. Oh, Welcome so to Gotham Academy. I really liked it. Love it. I picked it up because one day at work all of our network was down and I had kind of gotten through all the things that I could do without any internet access and was like, you know what, I'm going to go familiarize myself with some of our tween graphic novels because I haven't really read any of them. So I went and pulled it off the shelf and read through it and it was so good. Um, it's kind of a new generation of kids in Gotham, so you see some cameos from like Bruce Wayne and Batman and Killer Croc um, and kind of hear a little bit about like a lot of the places that you know from the Batman stories but it's a whole new generation of youngsters kind of facing Gotham for what it is. And then I also read Lady Midnight which I liked despite myself. I didn't want to like it because of <laughs> all of the drama that has surrounded Cassandra Clare um, for, you know, lawsuits about her allegedly plagiarizing material. Um, things like that kind of make me not want to like what she's written because it just makes me kind of feel like I've lost a little respect for her. But I still love her books. Her books are just so good no matter what has led to their being about. I really, really love them, and I loved Lady Midnight. And that's all I've been reading. Okay. I haven't read very much this month. Yeah, no, I haven't read a whole lot either this month. Um, a couple books I did finish, though, are P.S. I Still Love You, which is the second in Ginny mm. Hans' To All the Boys I've Loved Before series. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I... I feel like most of the books I read from Jenny Han, I wish they were standalones. Really? Yeah. Um, and I, I say that in all of the Jenny Han series I've read, which is like two. <laughs> um, it was good. I definitely liked it. Um, and it's definitely one that you can pick up after having not read the first one in mm -hmm. a while without, like, I felt like I could pick up, like, like I remembered pretty well what was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was pretty good. I love all the characters in that book, so that definitely, like, helped it, like, pick up a bit. Um, I also read Guy in Real Life by Steve Brezinoff. Oh. Which. <laughs> <laughs> it features your <laughs> Yeah, so I, like, you guys may not know this about me. I'm not looking at the two people in the room that definitely know this about me. I really hate gaming. I, like, it's, like, I like tabletop <laughs> gaming. 
from like video, video games. She's super prejudiced against video yeah, games. Yeah, I am, and against people who play them, which is like not fair at all. I recognize this in myself. <laughs> whatever, it's fine. <laughs> um, but guy in real life is about this kid who starts playing in. RPG. Hold on, I know the MMO RPG. Oh, oh. yeah, fancy. I learned some words (laughs) in this reading. Um, Who starts playing this MMO RPG online and is playing as this girl he meets in school, and uh, the guy in real life is kind of a term that's used in gaming. I don't know how like I don't know how like honestly it's used in gaming. It's a about a, a guy who plays a girl in a video game mm-hmm. who's a guy in real life. Girl. That's like a real thing. I mean, that's definitely a Yeah, like it's thing. like there's no girls who play video games, yeah. just G-I-R-Ls. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's probably that whole, um, what was that? Gamergate yeah. thing? Yes. Like, oh my gosh. I loved reading all the articles that came out of that, but uh-huh. I was just like also really incredibly sad that yeah. all of those were coming out of that. But the book is like set in Minnesota the main character's name is Lesh, which is fantastic, and his his the the girl in the story is Svetlana. So I felt like I was in a different <laughs> world. But really, it was just like Minnesota. Um, but I really I I pretty well enjoyed it. I kind of skipped over all of the chapters that like took place in the video game just because I was not interested at all. Mm. Um, but it, it was an interesting read. I I Did would you like recommend the it. Activity wheel. Oh my god, the activity wheel was so great. The parents would, like, come and be like, what are you doing, daughter? And she was like, did you check my activity wheel downstairs? Because it says I'm crocheting right now. And I, like, <laughs> I I could totally see Leah having an activity oh wheel. Oh my god. <laughs> um, like, a virtual one. So, like, don't bother me. I'm, like, at home watching my parrot eat seeds or something. Preferred <laughs> method of communication, activity wheel. Yeah. Like, this harks back to the days of AIM when you could say, yeah. like, away from keyboard or... <laughs> Burp, getting a glass of water. Uh-huh. Burp, leave, taking a shower. You could leave a message and people didn't have to wonder where you were or annoy mm-hmm. you with questions because you could just set your message and leave. Yeah. Are you saying I, kind I should stop AIM. texting you? That's what I'm getting out of this. Um, I don't know. Your emoticons are very uh, awesome, so, so far, <laughs> we'll stay with those. Okay. You're giving me a reason. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, But some stuff I've got coming in on my bookshelf. I'm reading Bone Gap this month. I'm Mm. also going to be reading Aristotle and Dante, Discover the Secrets of the Universe, which um, Leah's freaking out about both of those. I'm so happy. (laughs) I'm so happy. Um, And then I still need to finish Adam Silvera's More Happy Than Not, Mm. um, mostly because I've been working on a Tumblr post for... Months. I need to. <laughs> I just need to read it. So yeah, that's what I've got coming in. Cool. Um, but I. Books. 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 What's happening? I don't know. Still not joining our chant. Um, which, if you had listened to our podcast, you would realize played a crucial role in last month's episode. Damn it. No in jokes. No in-jokes for <laughs> Leah, because she didn't listen to our podcast. Gonna come and eat you all. Corsair, Corsair, Toothy Claw. Shadow and Bone will eat you raw. Malachi, Malachi, sharp and fly. Smile and bite and drink you dry. Soon I, soon I, eyes like coal. Sing you a song and steal your soul. 
monsters, monsters, big and small. They're gonna come and eat you yeah. all. Oh. Well, that was not a coordinated ending. I feel like Victoria Schwab would super love that rendition. <laughs> The Read Me Maybe podcast is the collaborative effort of Leah Wyand, Caitlin Seagraves, and Hannah Moore. You can find us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram with the username Hey I Just Read You. You can also find us online at HeyIJustReadYou.com. Monsters, monsters, big and small, they're gonna come and eat you all. Corsite, corsite, tooth and claw, shadow and bone will eat you raw. Malkai, Malkai, sharp and sly, smile and bite and drink you dry. Sunai, Sunai, eyes like coal, sing you a song and steal your soul. Monsters, monsters, big and small, they're gonna come and eat you all. <laughs> How does that sound on playback? I really liked that.